Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind, episode 75. As an artist and an educator, I know for a fact that there is almost nothing as important as allowing your child to be exposed to the arts in a successful way for their self-confidence, for their ability to express themselves out there in the world, and because in many cases that is where your child wants to go to uh, have his livelihood and to express himself in the world. Benjamin Franklin once said, Do not curse the darkness, rather light a candle instead. If you're ready to set your mind on fire, then prepare yourself for the Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's fire starter is Stephen Horwich. He's one of our favorites on the Luminous Mind. He's been episode 40 and then 60, and then we have a Steve Horwich week. He's the developer of Connect the Thoughts. He's an ardent homeschool advocate, and he's written many articles and books about how to homeschool. So welcome, Steve Horwich. Thank you again. (laughs) (laughs) It's been kind of fun talking, but today we're going to discuss arts and homeschooling, you know, how to get your kids involved in different kinds of arts, and then also we're going to talk a little bit about school sports. So where do you want to start with this conversation? Oh, goodness. Um, let's, Let's start by separating it into pieces so people can think with it a little bit. Okay. And let's let's stick to art at the beginning, and then we'll move into sports and, and other activities that homeschoolers can participate in. There's, there's lots out there. These are the topics that we kind of discussed before I started recording, where it scares people off to homeschooling. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain things that do require groups of individual groups of children, and they don't want their kids to miss out on these things. And so mm-hmm. we're going to try to give them ways... <laughs> Yeah, you bet. But they don't miss out. My very favorite thing, and the the thing I always created in private schools when I was teaching in private schools, was the arts department. And I would expend the vast majority of my energy putting a music program and a theater arts program there. To do theater arts, you need a group. It's very hard to do it alone. The smallest number you need to do any kind of a theater arts program is you, one other actor, and an audience. And yes, that can be done. And you can become educated in the area of acting and theater and performance and that kind of thing, even with a group that small, which we're going to talk about a little bit in a minute. But theater, plays, musicals, to do those things, you do have to connect up to a group to really do those things. I think we should get into that. But I'd like to cut it into two pieces, the the arts discussion. Uh, One piece is the methodology that a homeschooler should use with their children. Uh, You, mom and dad, how are you going to approach your kids when working with them in the area of the arts? And the area of the arts would include things like creative writing, painting, singing, dancing, uh, anything that... Musical instruments, maybe. Yeah, anything like that. Anything that is a personal expression through the means of art qualifies. There are ways to do this successfully. There is an approach that increases the likelihood that you'll succeed with your kids in teaching them art if you take it. And there is an approach that almost guarantees that you will fail with your kids in the area of the arts and even scare them away from the arts if you take that. 
and I'd like to separate out the way we teach art and discuss that. And then the second part of the arts discussion is where do you find it? You know, as a homeschooler, where can I find programs? Especially if it's not your, you know, forte. (laughs) Especially if it's not your forte. That's exactly right. Where do you take your children to have them have those experiences? Because, of course, the argument, as you and I were just talking about before we came on the air, the argument is I don't homeschool because my child can't have that experience that he gets in school of a big art program, a theater arts program, orchestra, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all of those things are established, especially at the high school level. Now, I do have to say that I live in Los Angeles, and I graduated high school here in 1974, uh, which makes me a very old man. And <laughs> That's the year I was born, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, thanks a lot, Rebecca. Thanks a lot. That, <laughs> that made my day. But I do have brother-in-laws your age, so okay. I don't, they don't seem old or anything. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but, you know, when I graduated high school, I was... I was an award-winning director and actor in high school. I won an Emmy Award before I finished high school for a piece I wrote, directed, and played the lead in. I even wrote the music for it. But while I was still in high school, they were starting to shut down the arts programs in Los Angeles. They were closing down orchestras. They were closing down uh, high school choirs. And they were starting to severely limit theater arts programs. The excuse they gave at the time, of course, in the mid-'70s and afterwards, was that there was no money. And the money that they had had to be spent. This is always what schools cry about. There's no money. Uh, The money they had had to be expended in core academic subjects like history and science and math. Well, as an artist and an educator, I know for a fact that there is almost nothing as important as allowing your child to be exposed to the arts in a successful way for their self-confidence, for their ability to express themselves out there in the world, and because in many cases that is where your child wants to go to uh, have his livelihood and to express himself in the world. So it's all very nice and well and good to claim that some subjects are more important than others, but it's categorically not true. Uh, Every child is different, and for child A, you know, junior, junior may love math and that may be his subject and he may need a lot of math as he comes up through school. But child B may be a singer and an actor and child C might be a writer and child D might be a dancer and child E might play piano. And these children deserve as much exposure to the area of expertise they're interested in as the kid who wants to or ends up in math or science or whatever. Well, and by putting one subject above the other, I actually talked with another guest about that, that then you end up, like, if you have to require everyone to have science, you end up with really poor science teachers anyway, because yeah, it's yeah. they're just trying to make sure they have enough classes to fulfill those requirements, not yeah. that somebody's really great at teaching that subject. And I would imagine that'd be the same, I mean, even if we flipped it to arts, you yeah. know. 
Yeah, it's absolutely If it's a required true. thing. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about public schools, it's absolutely true that a teacher in any area is very unlikely at the junior high or high school level to have any expertise in the area they're teaching. What they have a degree in is education, as you and I have discussed before. They do not have a degree in science. They do not have a degree in, in theater arts. They do not have a degree in uh, science in a particular area of science where they might be teaching. It's not to say there aren't teachers with some expertise in the public schools in the subject that they're teaching. There are some, but it's not very likely. And you're right, as an emphasis is placed in a certain area and more and more teachers are required, the level of expertise per teacher on average is going to drop uh, in a public school Yeah, district. they say you need like 10,000 hours to be yeah. an expert. In anything. In, in anything, any yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's the average they claim. So as a homeschooler, we're looking for ways to, A, expose our children to various arts and allow them to acquire expertise, and B, to support that process as parents and even as teachers. And those are two different kind of subjects that I'd like to jump into. The quickest one to cover is how to teach in the area of the arts. Uh, because you and I have already sort of covered it, so I'm going to keep it brief. Uh, my experience in teaching in the arts for over 40 years, working with thousands of actors and you know thousands of singers and thousands of dancers over my career doing this kind of thing, is that there are two approaches to teaching, one that's disastrous and one that works. The disastrous approach is to critique. It's the critical approach to education. And in the area of the arts, to approach a student critically, look at their work, critique their work, grade their work, correct their work, that's the quick, direct road to getting a student to withdraw from that area, to hate everything about it and never want to do it again as long as they live, which is not to say you can't improve a student's work. It's not to say that you can't give them information that will improve their approach to their work and continue to give them that information and perhaps give them the same piece of information 10 times until they digest it and use it. But what it does say is that if a student shows you the result of his work, hey, mom, here's the piece I wrote. Hey, mom, here's the song I've been working on or the dance I've been working on or the little piece that I directed with eight of my friends in the backyard or whatever, you know, here's the piece I learned on the piano this week. If they show you this work, and you certainly want them to, right, because yeah. you want to, as a parent, participate with that and, and enjoy it, the one thing you don't do if you want them to continue to learn in that area or to share it with you at the very least is critique it. If you listen to your child sing and you say, well, you know, yeah, that was really good, Johnny, but your pitch was a little off in the fourth and fifth bar, and I, obviously you haven't learned how to read yet in terms of musical timing, so your quarter notes are, are being syncopated, and that's not what quarter notes do, and rack, rack, rack. If you do that enough, and it doesn't take much, it, it really doesn't take much, instead of doing what I'm going to ask you to do as a parent in a second, if you critique your child will withdraw. He will stop presenting his work to you first, and then after that, if it continues, he'll withdraw from that area of the arts. He won't do it anymore, at least until he moves out and is on his own. He won't touch it because it, it's painful, and, and he'll take a loss every time he shares something in the area of the arts with you. It's very important to remember that an artistic 
work is personal. It's intimate to the creator. That person poured their heart and soul into it. They're giving you it's a glimpse into their soul. You know, this is who they are. And for somebody to then break it down technically, you know, which is ridiculous unless you have an incredible amount of expertise anyway. But to do that is to really harm that child's reach for that art form. And, now, are uh, you just meaning just as a parent or I've had uh, my kids in acting or in music and stuff, and I have noticed that they take the, I just listen usually or just watch what they're doing. <laughs> but if they have a mentor that they really trust, they actually ask, you know, what did you think? Those are the types of mentors you want to find or do yes, you want to find somebody who doesn't critique? No, depending on the age of the child, the younger they are, the less critique can be done. The thing is, when somebody brings me a screenplay and asks me to read it, especially when they're young, and I've had, a, <laughs> I, I've had this many hundreds of times, or they bring me their short story, they bring me their novel, or they bring me a song they wrote, and they ask me to look at it, and then they ask me what I thought, unless I say, well, you've written the great American masterpiece at last, the one we've all been waiting for. <laughs> if I don't say that and mean it or something similar to it, I'm inviting that student to despise me. Yeah, then to, they will never trust your opinion again. That, that's right. Now, I'll tell you when a mentor earns the right to critique a work of art that a child is presenting him. After the mentor has done what I'm going to suggest – as an approach many, many times, and after the student has seen distinct improvements in their work and recognized it. When the student knows that his work is getting on ever more solid ground, that he's always getting better at expressing himself through the art form, he's always improving in his technical approach to the art form, he knows he's getting better. He can then swallow some limited critique but it has to be positive critique. And I'll talk about that in a second as well, well. And I think it's interesting. Usually the child knows the areas they have to work on anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so they do. it's most almost, people, you don't have to say much. Yeah, most people know when they, you know, hey, I didn't sing very well. You don't have to tell them then, right? Because yeah. they, they know. Uh, or, hey, I didn't do my best work up there on stage today. You know, if they've been on stage a few dozen times, they start to figure out when they're on their game and when they're not. There are some exceptions. But you're right. Most people can figure it out. Here's what I would ask a parent to do as an approach to acting or, or teaching arts or music or any, anything in the arts. What I am recommending very strongly is that you take the approach of admiration in as opposed to critique for your child. When your child performs or shares his writing or anything in the area of the arts, and by the way, this is true in any area they study, history, science, if you want to keep your kid's love and you want him to trust you as an instructor, you'll do this. Admire the hell out of what they give you. Find something about it because there's always going to be something that you can admire, something. Hey, you looked real good standing up there on stage. If that's the only thing the kid did right in your eyes, then compliment him on that and mean it. But if you can find two, three, four qualities in their work that you actually find intriguing or admiring, uh, worth admiration, you should admire publicly the hell out of those things with no ifs, ands, or buts. You don't say, hey, this was really great, but, or yeah, this was wonderful, if you just improve, you don't do that. Especially at the beginning of a child's experience in the arts, 
just admire what they do, then they'll start to reach harder for it. They'll want to learn more. They'll want to do more. And their work will improve all by itself without anybody telling them how to do it because they'll push to improve their own work. And at a certain point when they've done enough that they have some confidence in what they're doing, it might take a while. It depends on the student. Some students take a while to feel comfortable about the idea that they're going on stage and acting or singing or playing clarinet or whatever, they, they take some time and they need a lot of positive reinforcement prior to any kind of critique, any kind of critique. Even when I work with professionals who have been writers or, or actors for a very long time, when I look at their work and they ask me for critique, I always start out with the positives. I extensively cover the positives. I'm talking about 40-year-olds, who 50-year-olds who've been acting for 30 years. I'll say, hey, in that performance, you got this right. You got that right. You did the following 20 things right. They were great. You made me laugh here. That was great. Now, you could improve it a little bit by trying these few things. And in that way, I've earned their trust. I've earned their respect. They know I actually watched because I found things to admire. So I was paying attention. And I've earned their trust on that level. They know I'm really paying attention. And the critique then is earned. They'll listen to it. Will they do everything I ask them to do? Probably not. But they will listen to the critique. They will take some of it in and they will change some of their work. I really suggest very strongly to parents or teachers who work in the area of the arts, especially with children, that you really lean towards admiration as your approach and stay away from critique, especially with younger kids. They don't need it. They don't want it. An eight-year-old does not need you to tell him that his writing isn't the equivalent of Hemingway. It's unnecessary. You know, we all know that. He even knows that in his own mind. But what he needs from you is for you to tell him how wonderful his writing is, all the wonderful things you see in it. And keep doing it and keep doing it until he can stand on his own two feet looking in the eye and say, no, really, is there anything not optimum about this piece of art? And then if you have the expertise, you can offer them a positive critique, which is never to tell them what's wrong with it. It's only telling them how they can improve it. You never harp on what they got wrong. Hey, you sang this note wrong. That isn't how you do it. You say, you know, if you get your breathing right, you'll find these phrases are easier to carry and your pitch will be more consistent. You stay on the positives. You stay away from the negatives when you teach. That's true with adults and it's doubly true with children. So that's the methodology that I really, really, when parents do it, it works. And when they don't do it, they're sorry. Yeah. Well, and sometimes, like I said, I think it's best to find a mentor because if you don't really know what you're talking about, you don't have any credibility with them anyway mm -hmm. in, in that area. So, But there's also curriculum. You know, we're going to talk about where to find the help, right, in the area of the arts. That's the next part of the discussion. There's curriculum. There are teachers. There are schools. There are all kinds of of ways to get help, even on the internet now, in almost every area of art. And yeah, finding a mentor is good if the mentor understands what I just told you. They understand they're dealing with a kid and they approach them in a non-critical way. So when so. you find a mentor, you really want to watch just to see how they go about doing that and and Absolutely. yank them from a mentor that would really hurt their love or desire for. That's actually not a mentor. That's, <laughs> that's well, no, not what we not, call a mentor. It, but. It, it's not a mentor. It's a sadist. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen teachers working with kids who were treated them as if they were the corps de ballet. 
and uh, should have known absolutely everything about their art form. Any teacher who doesn't understand that the person in front of him who's a student does not know the field, does not know the particulars, does not know how to do it. If the teacher doesn't get that and treats that student as if they should already know everything a professional with dozens of years of experience and training knows, that's not a teacher, that's an idiot. And it's somebody who's going to do real harm to that child. And that's true in science, it's true in history and math, and it's absolutely true in the arts. You can just scare the hell out of a child away from the arts by giving him a teacher, a little martinet, you know, who insists on perfect form, you know, in dance with a five-year-old. My goodness, what a waste of everybody's energy and time guaranteeing that child will never study dance again. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. So where do we find places to do stuff well, like this? You know, I, I've been doing tons of research on that kind of thing uh, over the last four or five months in particular because I write a newsletter through uh, my curriculum and every month I list various resources that are available in different places across the country. Here's what I'm finding. First of all, if you're looking for independent teachers, mentors, or you're looking for small independent uh, schools like a music school for kids, young kids, or uh, music teachers who teach or specialize on kids of a certain age, as singers, as musicians, or if you're looking for a dance school, or if you're looking for an acting program, they're readily available in almost every community in the United States. They're so easy to find. Uh, you absolutely do not need to take recourse to the public schools, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, but you can, even if you are homeschooling, use your public school as a resource for theater arts and music programs, and I'm going to explain that in a few minutes. But you don't need them, and frankly, you may not want them. So most parks and recs programs, almost all parks and rec programs, have theater arts programs. They almost all have theater art classes oriented around younger kids or older kids. There's usually different programs in every city that I've ever looked at. And you sign your kid up, and the amount of money involved is negligible, you know, $100 for a semester or something like that. And now your child is with a theater arts program that will do a full play at the end of 20 weeks or a full musical at the end of 20 weeks. So the Parks and Rec thing is, a, is an easy way to start plugging in because it's in almost every city from what I can see. Yeah, even in little places like my town. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. and in fact, I well, I wanted to hear why you would suggest the public school because I really think that, I mean, when I've looked at arts, I think the best teachers that I found are outside of that. Yeah, I agree. No, no, I agree. I, I've seen some good teachers in public schools when I was in public schools, but they're gone now because the arts programs have been weeded out. Yeah. They've been uh, cut so, and slashed. Yeah, and so, so they don't have anybody anymore. Uh, the only reason I brought up the public schools was that, folks, you're all paying taxes. We're all paying taxes, right? And if you're homeschooling, you're still paying taxes that help pay for the schools that other kids go to, your kids don't use. Yeah. Rebecca and I were talking about this <laughs> just before we came on, how irritating as a homeschooler that is, that you're paying taxes so other kids can go to bad schools while you, in the meantime, still have to pay to homeschool your kid. You still have to put out whatever money is required yeah, for that. You, you double pay for education, and then they say that you don't like children, <laughs> or, like, or you're, 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 like not, you're not you're yeah. not a supporter of education. 
yeah, <laughs> even though I, you pay double. You and I have had that discussion. <laughs> what I was going to say about the arts programs is that most public schools, particularly junior high and high school level schools, uh, middle schools and high schools, they have a situation where if you're homeschooling and you're in their district, you can sign up for their arts program and use it. So you can sign up for the band or you can sign up for the music program or you can sign up for the choir if they have one or you can sign up for the theater arts program if they have one and you bring your kid to the school during just that period of the week or those two periods of the week and your child participates in that program. So you're actually very often not pushed out the door just because you're not into public education. You can still very, very often utilize public schools, massive facilities because, oh man, they have the best facilities, the best theaters, the best instruments, because they have all the money, they have your money. So <laughs> you should take advantage of that if, if you are interested in having your child connect up to those programs. They okay. do not have to take any other courses at the school, just the art stuff. And in my experience, it wasn't as scary as what I thought. You know, I think years you know, past, they were a lot more irritated by homeschoolers coming in, but it's such a growing population. They love those kids. So homeschoolers are better socialized and better educated, better at communicating as a group. And an art teacher loves that. Well, uh, they study you know, it. They study that art. That was my son when he was an orchestra. You know, he was the one that practiced and the teacher was right. just blown away. And he got all the solos and <laughs> anything that and required. That's, and that's yeah, it's as it should be, right? He's in that age group. It, the program should be available to him because you paid for it. If he performs and he's the one who comes through, then he should get the perks, the yeah. solos and the rest, of course. So I think, folks, you will find that if you are really not willing to do much homework and don't want to get very creative about creating an arts program for your kid – that your local school district will do that for you. If you go and you talk to them, they'll sign up your kid for just that program. That's the only time he'll need to be at the school, and you can take advantage of it. Before we go on, let us take a minute and hear about our sponsors. Changing a paradigm takes some study, but like me, you are probably super busy. That's why we've teamed up with Audible. Go to our website, theluminousmind.net. Get a free month of Audible with two audiobooks, thousands of titles in exchange for only books that you absolutely love. You too can be learning on the go to keep that fire burning. Welcome back to The Luminous Mind with Stephen Horwich, a homeschooling advocate. However, generally speaking, small private institutions like music stores and dance studios have more specialized teachers. They're more qualified to teach in the area of the arts. And it is a better place to take your child. It will cost you some money, whereas the public school will not. Private lessons and even lessons in a class can cost some, you know, you can start to get into some real money. Uh, usually dance classes are between 5 to $12 a piece uh, in most parts of the country. 
uh, sometimes more, never less than that, but sometimes more. Uh, and that's for all kinds of dance classes and for different age groups. Every dance studio I've ever seen had classes for young kids, classes for teenagers. They all have it. And they all have classes in jazz dance. They all have classes in, you know, unfortunately ballet, which I do not actually suggest many children do because it deforms the legs and the feet. And yeah, definitely have a decent teacher on that. Yeah, you have to have a great teacher who understands that's a very young body in front of them. Uh, and and really limits what they're forced to do on point and stuff like that. Well, and but, if you want to start a homeschooling group, and maybe you were going to talk about this, I think right. uh, maybe you could go to some of those music stores and actually specifically advertise for that. Because just in my experience, you know, when my son did the school public school, and then we went our uh, we have like a leadership academy that's just homeschoolers. Just the quality of the children that were there and the pieces mm-hmm. that they were playing was well above where his high school and this was a a group of varied ages of children Mm -hmm. so some of these kids were not even like 10 years old and they were playing violin and stuff better (laughs) do you sound like my book now the 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 homeschooler handbook i was telling you about yeah about all of that in great detail in that book that's exactly right in a private school in in a little like a music store a dance school they'll throw kids together based on their ability rather than their age so you could have an eight-year-old who plays piano like a monster, you know, and 14-year-olds trying to catch up. That's perfectly fine. The idea is to provide everybody a chance to move at their own pace and to, you know, get involved in that art form to the best of their ability. And surprisingly, when it's a mixed stage like that, you find less bullying than you would in a public uh, school. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't find any bullying in private education in, in, in a small private school like that or a dance school. It's very rare. Yeah. That any bullying. It's not school. It's it's not the same thing. But there's more to what you just said. Um, so let's say you form a homeschool group. Most homeschool groups are going to consist of at least two families, right? Uh, probably three or four if you're really seriously forming a homeschool group. That means there are going to be four, five, six, seven parents there. And out of that many parents, there's a fair likelihood that one of them or two of them will have some expertise in some area of the arts. So it's very possible if you form a homeschool group, which I think is the best way to homeschool by far, forming a homeschool group, it's very likely that somebody in that room is going to be good at acting or at music or at writing or at something in the arts and can take on the hat of being the instructor in that area. And then you have it in-house. You don't have to go out looking for it. You don't have to find a studio that teaches that dance thing. If you have a wood floor, you can clear the furniture away twice a week and teach a dance class. I know many homeschool groups uh, and even single families with a lot of kids where the mom or dad has an arts background where that's exactly what they do. Well, and places to perform. I mean, there's so many places that would love to listen to. Yeah, you know, there's there's endless places to perform if you have a little homeschool group. But I used to perform in my backyard when I was in my teens. I would put out 50 seats. We'd sell 50 tickets. We would do a play in the covered patio. And once I was out there doing a play and a helicopter came overhead and put its light on us, probably thought we were about to blow up the city or something. (laughs) And uh, it was great because it was a free spotlight. So I, I just think at the end of the day, if you develop a homeschool program with arts in it in your home, 
there are all kinds of ways to allow the kid to perform and ways to expose him. But we're not done yet with the various ways you can implement an arts program. You know, you can do the public school thing. You can form a homeschool group and look for expertise within the parents in the group or even the kids, by the way. You might have a kid in your homeschool group who's done a lot of writing or done a lot of acting and he can coach the other kids and become the educator, which is a lovely thing when that happens. But there's more. The Internet is a fantastic resource for teaching in the arts now. I know that I personally have students. I have both voice students and I have acting students that I teach via Skype. And they can be anywhere in the world. And, you know, they pay for a lesson and we have our hours set aside and we both get on Skype and we work. I've had writing students all over the world send me their work via the internet, and I've worked with them and critiqued it and assisted them in improving in in that set of skills. The internet is a, a tidal wave of arts teachers who are looking for work and looking for students, and in very many cases, for a moderate amount of money, not very much, will take on your child in an area of expertise. One of the most interesting things I've found there. There's a a school in New Jersey, private school, dance school. And what the woman who owns it has done is she's recorded classes, each one specializing in a specific dance skill. And then she sells them as a program. You buy a subscription, you do the first class in week one, the second class in week two. That woman is making $2 million a year. Holy cow. $2 million a year teaching dance, the thing that you would think would not be possible, teaching dance over the internet. Wow. So that model is being looked at by a lot of private teachers. Now I'm looking at doing several things along that line as well. The internet is a tremendous tool to bring the arts into your home for your child. Uh, It's better if your child can have a one-on-one face-to-face with a, a teacher who really cares about your child and who understands that art form, of course, it's better to have a body there. But in lieu of that, if you're in the middle of East Nowhere and <laughs> you don't have the resources locally, even the, the local high school is 100 miles away and you really don't have the resources to bring an arts program into your house, go to the Internet, find teachers, Find programs like that dance program in New Jersey or teachers like me or the 10,000 other teachers that are on the Internet in the area of singing or in the area of, oh, goodness, acting, writing, you name it, and bring the program into your home. You do not need a school to do that. Oh, I'd be just overjoyed to see more expert teachers do this, you know, where they start their own academies. It'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. Well, it's happening principally over the Internet because the overhead is so low for the teacher. You have a site. People find you. They hire you or they come to see the class that you pre-recorded and put up on you. You know, it's a it's a great resource. And another advantage to that is as a private teacher. See, I can tell you when I teach voice, for instance, when I work with a voice student, usually I charge around $80 an hour to teach voice privately. But if I put a program on the Internet and I pre-record lessons and you buy a subscription, you will essentially take that class for $10 or $7 or something like that and learn what that other person would have learned. The thing you won't have, because it's a pre-recorded class, and in many 
areas of the arts, painting, I've seen this with painting on the internet, the classes are pre-recorded. You're not getting one-on-one attention. They're inexpensive, you're getting information, and if the programs are well put together, you're getting information that makes sense. It's step-by-step leading you into that art form, which is very valuable. But you're not getting one-on-one attention or any kind of admiration or critique for what you're doing. For that, you either would have to find a class, hire a teacher, go on the internet and hire an independent teacher who will Skype, or find a parent who has expertise or sign up at a school. But look at that long list of resources I just named. Lots and lots of resources to bring an arts program into your homeschool. Well, and I kind of wonder if some of these teachers uh, would pay a minimal charge just to do a critiquing session with you, too. I mean, yeah, even, I if, if, even if you do their pre-recorded programs, many times you can find, a, you know, some sort of, you know, if you need assistance or whatever, an email, you know, get a hold mm-hmm. of me here. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's just a minimal charge, too, because they mm-hmm. haven't had to do, you know, the mm-hmm. hours of teaching, personal. Yeah, you're teaching. very... Very right, Rebecca. That's very smart. Actually, you just gave me an idea. That's really good. <laughs> you, you just gave me an idea. But but yeah, I agree. I, I think that, you know, the internet is a chance to hook up with somebody who actually has expertise and does whatever it is you want to learn professionally. They're already doing it. Those are the best people to learn from, not teachers who never did it. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. Now, Real quickly, because I'm looking at your clock here, (laughs) real quickly, the PE thing, the answer to the PE thing for uh, homeschoolers, it's always the arts and PE that homeschoolers can't get right. It's always arts and PE that they, they feel they can't really make a part of their homeschooling program and they get the short shrift, you know. But the PE thing is even easier to solve than the arts thing. It always amazes me that homeschoolers evade it when there's no reason to. Most school districts have a a minimum limit to how much PE a child must do every week. It's usually two 45-minute sessions of PE of some kind. So 90 minutes during a week of, of PE. Well, you and I both know that for a young kid, that's nowhere near, you know. What they need, A young kid, yeah, they got to run around and throw themselves against walls and, you know, run into moving cars. And (laughs) And for little kids, homeschooling is great because they do have more opportunities to get up and move around. I actually read a study that they talked about, you know, obesity in the school, and they said that the chances of a child being obese in the school, I can't remember what the percentage was, but (laughs) homeschoolers, it's very minimal because they do they get a healthy diet usually of home cooked meals plus they get um, plenty ample exercise where kids that have to sit for six hours you know Absolutely. they get what 45 minutes a, a day of well, if, recess if. time yeah well no if uh, it, at the high school level even at the junior high level the middle school level in a lot of school districts now it's just twice a week 45 minutes that's yeah. what i'm saying that's just simply not going to cut it. it. How could it? So let's let's talk about the answer to this for homeschoolers. First of all, again, just as you can sign up for the arts program at your local junior high or high school, you can sign up for the PE program at your local junior high or high school. So if you have a child or a sports wants, team, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you have, well, that's the next thing. If your kid wants to play baseball and your local high school has a good baseball team, you have every legal right and the school cannot stop your kid in almost any district from trying out for that team. And the, the coach of the team is just looking for the best players he can find in his district at that age group, right? That's all he cares about. 
So yeah. they will take your child seriously if he goes and he tries out for a sports uh, team at your local junior high or high school. There are also, back to Parks and Rec, there are also in every park, there's, you know, Little League Baseball and Pop Warner Football. There's uh, usually soccer everywhere. You know, what is it, AYSO? I was a coach for one season, even though I knew nothing about soccer because my son wanted to play. And they asked me if I'd coach, and I said, no, I don't know anything about it. And they said, yeah, but will you coach? And (laughs) And I said... Or, uh, sure. And I, I sat down with a friend of mine who uh, had played in college, and it, it just so happened that the World Cup games were on at that time. So we watched four or five games. He explained the rules to me <laughs> and the strategies. And I sat down with my kids, and I'll have you know, we won three-fourths of our games. Wow. So. I think the biggest challenge for me when I was homeschooling and trying to be involved in city sports is a lot of that information gets sent to the public school so they know when all of the tryouts are or the, you know, sign up registration. So you've really got to be on top of it. And a lot of times you can just now go sign up for their email list, right? Yeah, and well, yeah, more than that, you can go to your local school district site. They'll have pages or a section of their site specializing in sports, which will tell you where all the tryouts are. So that's easy enough. Get on the internet again and take five minutes, run a search. You know, if you live in uh, Boise, right, (laughs) run a search, uh, Boise Pop Warner football, Boise High School football, and look at their site and find out when the tryouts are. But the school districts cannot keep your child out of school sports. They can't. If that's really where you want your kid to go or he really wants to go there, I know I went to Chatsworth High When I went to high school at Chatsworth, we were the number one high school in the country for baseball. Uh, We won the high school World Series two out of the three years I was there. It was a big deal. And, you know, if you were homeschooling in the district, you wanted to go to Chatsworth High to play baseball if you played baseball. If you played baseball and you were that age, you lied about your address to go to Chatsworth High so you could participate in their uh, baseball program. So that's available Parks and Rec is available with Pop Warner football and AYSO soccer and and Little League baseball, which goes from age five all the way up to, you know, late teens. And same thing with soccer, same thing with football. Um, But there's a lot of other things you could do. You know, your kid ride a horse. Find a local place where they rent out horses and have your kid learn how to ride a horse. I did that when I was young, and it was a good thing. The opportunities for PE experiences are not limited to taking a PE class where you do sit-ups, push-ups, and pull-ups. That's grand in a very limited context, but it isn't really much of a rewarding experience for a student. Well, and I was telling Stephen at the beginning, some of the virtual uh, educators that I am contacted with, they've told me that they're seeing kids leave the public schools in droves because they see so many club sports popping up all the time. And so they're like going, why am I here? Why? Because if I'm here for the sports, I can do this. And I actually like the team better than I do in the public school system. So definitely, uh, it's it's definitely turning more uh, open to the community. I was talking to my best friend yesterday. He's in Florida and his son is a fantastic pitcher 
and I got him on the phone. He told me that he had just thrown a game where he struck out 16 out of 18 batters that he faced. He's about 15 years old, and major league teams are starting to watch him. Where did he get his experience? Because he goes to a small private school. He got his experience with club sports. They live in Florida. They're near Tampa. Tampa's where the Yankees do their their uh, winter you know uh, preparations and spring preparations. It's where several teams. Uh, in the major leagues prepare. So there's lots and lots of professional baseball players there teaching in small classes, independent schools and workshops that they've set up that are available to a kid like him. He's going to be a professional baseball player because it was available to him, but he didn't get it. He did not get it in school. Well, and not to downplay um, team sports, but I guess I'm finding, too, that a lot of homeschooled kids really do thrive in individual sports anyway. Like my son's really into swimming. He is on a team, but he really thrives in that atmosphere. And in, in a lot of ways, I think it's healthier anyway, because one of the things that I noticed with some of my friends that were team sports type players, they really struggled when they got out of school to be able to keep their fitness up. Whereas somebody who does an individual sport, I mean, if the whole point is to teach a child, you know, healthy body and exercise habits, don't be afraid of those individual sports. They can be, and and like I said, he is learning how to be part of a team, but he does like the fact that he can control, he has more control over, you know, how he performs within each meet. And, and, where, and where can you go to learn to swim? Where is yeah. there not YMCA? Show me the town that doesn't have a YMCA with a pool. They love kids to come there and learn to swim. That's where my kids learned how to swim. And they have some swimming team sports that they build into their program, usually at a YMCA, uh, because they like that kind of community activity. So they, they support that. But you can also sign up for a swim program at a high school. Yeah, and he is part of their swim team when at- that. Absolutely. And what about tennis? You can do that with tennis. Sign up at your school. Go to a private instructor. You know, there are a lot of ways to do individual sports. I laugh when I talk about it, but I don't know the city that doesn't have a bowling alley. In lieu of any other PE activity, you can always take Junior to go bowling twice a week. and exactly. at least At least he'll be carrying a big heavy ball and throwing it, and that is activity. <laughs> Yeah. Like I said, though, the whole idea that you're not going to get enough exercise as a homeschooler, I just think it's more naturally built in. So it's really not a concern. And the time is there because in school, you're stuck with the schedule they give you. As a homeschooler, if you discover that Little League is going to have practice four times a week that starts at four o'clock, and your kid is in public school, he can't make half those practices. Well, and then he's got homework after that. I mean, there's uh, so he's tired because he's been at school all day. And, yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't work. But for homeschoolers, you can build his day around that practice, start your educational stuff earlier in the day, get it over with, let him take a nap, and take him to his practice. Yeah. It's a lot easier to integrate. Well, and they get to sleep in. That's one thing my daughter, she is in a hardcore ballet troupe. Cool. and. 
<laughs> it's it's amazing. But and her teacher homeschool. She loves her homeschooled kids because they do they come more focused. She oh. says they're less competitive. They do work together better. So here we blow the myth of you know team players out. (laughs) And then she's able to sleep. I mean, when they're doing some hefty rehearsal time, she can sleep in a little better and she's rested. And and listen, Rebecca, don't you think that being well rested contributes to proper socialization? Yes, it does. (laughs) What I've noticed too, is I've homeschooled uh, longer, that a lot of these gymnasiums and places like that are actually starting to build programs specifically for homeschoolers so the cool thing is is you can do it during the day absolutely when they would be out at school so yep that's right there are, i know dance schools in la that offer dance programs for uh, school age kids at 10 in the morning 11 in the morning when it would be impossible for somebody else to get there and that is a very good thing too yeah yeah well what a fun topic i think have we covered everything or <laughs> <laughs> oh, who knows? I'm sure you know, we'll, we'll come back and do the next subject. Yeah. Actually, we kind of talked about talking about community, you know, how to build that community and how to homeschool, even if you are a single parent. So maybe that'll be your next one. So I'd be happy to do it. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. To learn more about Stephen Horwich, go to our show notes at theluminousmind.net. Also, be sure to become a subscriber to our free email list so you can receive notifications for our weekly audio blog, The Spark. We would love to have you join our program. Do so by going to the scheduling tab and become a fire starter today. Help support the podcast by making all your Amazon purchases through the free Amazon widget on our website, theluminousmind.net. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Google+. Get our audio content on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. Leave us a review. Tell us how we can help you so together we can continue to light minds on fire and change the paradigm of education 